Hello and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Legal Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts. Hello, fellow fundraisers, and welcome to today's show. I'm Christy Ackley. And I'm Gay Gonerman. And we are here with our guest today, Eileen Rosa Sanchez from LSS. Welcome, Eileen. Hi, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you today. Yeah. So Eileen, we always like to let our guests introduce themselves because uh, you do it so much better than we will do it. So do you want to tell our our listeners just a little bit about you, your background, what your role is, all of that kind of stuff? Absolutely. So my name is Eileen Rosa Sanchez, and I am the Senior Director of Philanthropy for Lutheran Social Service of Minnesota, also known as LSS, and also Children's Home of Minnesota, um, two sister organizations. Um, I have a background in community economic development and uh, currently serve on the board of the Latino Economic Development Center. Um, I also enjoy singing. Uh, So... Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here and talk about philanthropy, um, an exciting way to make change and uh, build relationship with people, organizations to help make our community better. Awesome. And so will our listeners get to hear your singing voice today too? Um, unlikely. <laughs> we could see. Um, I didn't, wasn't ready for that question. <laughs> Maybe we can work up a little duet before our next episode. All right. We have to cut this. <laughs> there you go. Well, we are excited to have you with us. And we are so thankful that you have a couple topics that we're going to get to talk to you about over the next few episodes. So thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So today we want to talk about your vast experience in leading and coaching teams. I know that you have had, you know, some various different jobs over your your career. And right now the role that you're in, you've got a team that you're working with. And so we really wanted to focus on what, what that looks like, you know, the things that you've learned along the way, and just kind of some nuggets you want to share with our listeners about the best practices you've learned or, or the, the hurdles that you've overcome as you've thought about leading and coaching those teams. And I thought we would just start diving right in by talking about recruiting. You know, before we even get to the leading and the coaching the team, we got to get the team in place. And in our current climate, it's so incredibly hard to hire staff right now. So yeah. um, just anything you want to share about that whole recruitment process or, or you know, tips you have for our listeners on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think just as in philanthropy, we try to be relationship-based. That's what we do with recruiting. And so part of the the work that we do at LSS, at Children's Home, I think strong organizations, we're embedded within the community. We have these great relationships. We work in ways that are impactful. And we really focus on that impact. You talked about how this is really a challenging time for recruiting. 
I was really grateful to be at a session with our Minnesota State demographer, Susan Brower, uh, just last week, actually. Um, and Susan was sharing with us that the population in Minnesota is declining um, somewhat in terms of the workforce. And so part of what demographers do is they help us to kind of look into the crystal ball, as it were, by looking at trends and seeing how things are changing. And so what we're learning is, as especially as those boomers are aging out, um, we have greater needs for workforce. Um, and part of our job as uh, leaders in the community, as folks in philanthropy, is to understand the trends, <laughs> um, be agile, and make sure that we can work with our potential team members in ways that are going to be appealing. And so I think, you know, when I started working in the I hate saying this, you know, I kind of get the eye rolls from the kids who weren't even born at this age. But like when I was started working in the 90s, um, I it was very formal and I had to make sure that um, it was very hierarchical and I had to interact in a different way with mm -hmm. my superiors is even the word that I would use. And today, what we do is community-engaged philanthropy. We work with our donors, we work with our community, we work very closely together. And um, I use this term, it's the strategic point of intersection between the interests, the desires, the joys, the passions, and the resources of the community members, whether that's the labor, you know, the, the folks mm -hmm. who want to work, the organization that we're working with or through, and the community that we're impacting. And so as we're looking, especially within philanthropy, a lot of us get reached out to with opportunities to work for another organization and, hey, would you like to join us? Part of what we try to do um, is focus on the impact, on the mission. If it comes to, you know, who's going to pay the most, I probably am not always going to win that contest. I might win sometimes, mm -hmm. but rarely, right? And that is a very transactional kind of thing. What we're looking for is people in philanthropy who are deeply engaged, who are passionate, um, and who see themselves as an agent of change. Those mm -hmm. are the folks who have that authenticity, that desire to make a change. Maybe they come from a background of philanthropy, generational wealth. Maybe, like me, that hasn't been something that's been accessible. But I understand the power of philanthropy. And I know that by working with folks and institutions that have those kinds of resources, we can help make the place better. And so when we think about recruitment, it's important to recognize that many organizations say, oh, you know, we we post on a specific job board and we do this kind of work and we talk to this group of people. And part of what I try to do and the folks that I work with, the values that we have are accessibility and inclusion. And mm -hmm. so as we talk about the jobs, I like to talk about the different networks that exist. When we look at jobs too, I think this isn't the only organization, but there are other organizations that I've been at that where I post uh, the job, the original job description says must have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree or something like that. 
And there's a lot of value to lived experience. And mm. so um, we can also take a look at our job descriptions and see, you know, what are barriers to success? And so mm-hmm. that educational component is important. Um, another thing that we often don't think about are things like driver's license required. If mm. you think about someone who is um, low vision or legally blind, that person can't drive, <laughs> right? Someone has epilepsy, that person can't get a driver's license. If we have that as a requirement, you're automatically removing some really fantastic human beings that the ADA, you know, really tells us we shouldn't be discriminating against anyhow. But, you know, it's if you're working with people from within your communities, you want that kind of impact. You want that kind of representation in your mm-hmm. workforce. We have to be really thoughtful about the people who we're serving, who's applying and, and put ourselves in in there. I think there's also a lot of value to having peers reaching out to their networks and mm-hmm. reaching out through different kinds of networks that we may not be used to. And so um, in addition to, you know, the Minnesota Plan Giving Association, you know, we can also reach out to other professional associations. The Association of Fundraising Professionals in Minnesota has this wonderful IDEA network. IDEA stands for Inclusion, Diversity, equity and accessibility. And it focuses on bringing in that next generation of fundraisers, mm-hmm. um, primarily BIPOC folks who haven't necessarily been the traditional quote unquote fundraisers, maybe that you would have seen 20 years ago. And so I like looking at those. I like looking within other professional networks like our rotaries. I'm involved, very much involved in the rotaries, um, our faith communities, youth organizations. So really thinking about how is it that we're reaching out? And something I think that's also often overlooked is our own organizations. So we've got people who have been working frontline work, maybe who've been doing administrative tasks or data entry and who know the organization, who love it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to build that talent from within too and just acknowledge the wonderful assets that we have within our organization and encourage, you know, is there some mentoring to be done? Would people be interested? Um, There's a wonderful person um, at Mayo who I thought, well, I don't know that I could actually be a direct fundraiser. I I just have a, had a lot of imposter syndrome and thought, well, I don't, I don't know that I could actually do this. And he sat down and he said, why can't you? Why do you see yourself as not able to do this job? And he gave me a little bit of a reframing and that's all that I needed. And that really mm-hmm. helped me set my career in a completely different trajectory working with transformational philanthropy. So sometimes we just need leaders to just recognize the wonderful folks that we have with us and Absolutely. to lift up those voices. So those are just some, some thoughts to start with. I'd like to zero in a little bit on this challenge of bringing in the next generation of Mm -hmm. professional fundraisers. Find out what you think is happening in kind of the mindset Mm -hmm. of the, I'm going to say maybe the Gen Z Mm -hmm. uh, folks and what is their 
what are you seeing as far as like their idea of what these jobs are versus like what they think their career path, what they see as their career paths where maybe they want to be an influencer <laughs> or that type of thing. And it, are you able to address that and kind of weave in their, their ideas of what the career is and get, get their interest? Yeah, that's a great question. There are a lot of people who've got great data on what this generation uh, that's coming up is looking like. I can just share that in my experience and from a couple little presentations here and there that I've heard, this upcoming generation is the most generous generation. They tend to be very philanthropic. You know, Gay, you used the word influencer. And something that we can look at um, with this career pathway is that philanthropy is about influencing. It's the power mm -hmm. of working with others, connecting again with institutions, with individuals, with other kinds of organizations, creating partnerships, coalition to create an influence. It's having visibility and making a change. And we know that especially as people are looking We've got the youth uh, looking at issues like environmental justice, racism. There are just some things that some folks are really open about and are willing to look internally at um, how we're making a change, how we're influencing. And this can be very appealing. One thing that I'm interested in, in general, as we're thinking about our workforce is career pathways. So um, I worked at an organization called Genesis Works that focused on creating tech career pathways for BIPOC youth, first-generation youth, and that was through paid internships in corporations and a couple nonprofit organizations. There are other wonderful foundations that work with youth to help provide visibility to this kind, just different kinds of industries. And I think there's a lot to be said about volunteer opportunities and also paid internship opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a project that you want to have done, there are opportunities to connect. I mean, of course, you have to look at your capacity within the organization and you need to have tasks that are there. But there are certainly ways to look at career pathways. I'm by no means, you know, someone who has any expertise in this area. But, you know, as we're thinking about how is it that we look at our at our industry, how to continue to keep it relevant and keep it fresh, as we know that we've got a significant, the greatest transfer of wealth from one generation to the next, we mm -hmm. really want folks who can speak to that specific group to that generation. So the folks who are in their 40s and their 50s, right? To the folks who are in their 20s and their 30s. It's important for people to see folks who um, can relate to them in terms of what's relevant and how to connect. And more and more, we're learning that people are interested in connecting with folks who have lived experience and who can be inclusive and provide some insights and access to the community. And so I'd love to see more organizations doing some wonderful career pathways work. Mm -hmm. Minnesota Plan Giving Association had some wonderful scholarships 
to allow members to join who maybe our organizations weren't able to pay or maybe you're entering the workforce. So I, I celebrate those and whenever possible, I love to highlight those and share them. And I'm not afraid to meet with somebody who I just think is fantastic and very sincere. And I might say, hey, would you like to go and have some coffee or meet over Zoom? Because that's what we do nowadays. <laughs> and um, just kind of learn where they are and see, you know, kind of what's your career pathway like? And so I think as leaders, a lot of my work, and I, I love to see it when it happens, um, I think mentoring and sponsoring individuals and helping them enter this workforce is very important. I I mentored a a coworker who was from an uh, underrepresented group in the fundraising profession, mm -hmm. um, and encouraged her to join the Planned Giving Council as well as apply for a scholarship. So I know exactly okay. the you know, the yeah. approach you're talking about, it's one person at a time yeah. often. And it's someone, it might be someone in your network who, where mm -hmm. you see the potential for development and growth for them um, to help them advance. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think answering the call when people ask us to speak. So, um, for example, Why Is That a High School had this wonderful group of BIPOC students, and they just wanted to talk to BIPOC women who were in different fields. And I honestly didn't really have the time, <laughs> but I thought, gosh, this is something my daughter would be proud of if, you know, we were able to talk about this. And it was great. I connected with some fantastic human beings who had never thought about philanthropy um, and some who really didn't come from any access to any money and other people who, you know, come from different, you know, there's a lot of variety there and it's really exciting. So I'm happy to hear, Gay, that you've done that. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to, you know, contrast that with, I had an inter, uh, uh, an interaction in early 2000 and so I had a wonderful opportunity to, um, uh, as part of uh, a community help found an organization and was talking with someone who was a program officer at a foundation. And um, I had had some great success and I talked with her and I said, hey, you know, I, I kind of have this secret dream. I'd like to work in philanthropy. And she sat me down and she's like, you know, I'm from this part of the world and you're just not relatable. You know, you come <sighs> from a different life experience. You're, you know, you grew up poor, you aren't from Minnesota and it's just, you, you just can't relate to those people. So let me just stop you. And just also to note that there are people who have been stopped and have been told, you do not mm -hmm. belong here. And if you're one of those people who's been told, you do not belong here, I would encourage you to say, I wonder what it is about that person's point of view that makes them feel mm -hmm. that I don't belong. And what is the niche? What's the area where I have life experience, where um, maybe my idealism or um, where my challenges in life or, you know, what is it? How could I connect with people? How could I make a difference? Um, so encouraging people to um, hang on to their dreams. And even mm. though that didn't work for me 20 years ago, you know, fast forward, it's obviously working for me now. Um, it may not be the right time. It not, might not be the right organization, but um, there is certainly a way to be 
um, impactful in this work. Um, and maybe it's just reach out to somebody else. Right. Right. Oh, what a horrible experience. I'm sorry that you had that. And the thing is, I am not the only one. I feel like I brought that up at a couple different conversations that I've had. I brought it up at a conference that we did with the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits recently. And then it's funny when I share that, people say, that happened to me too. And mm. I didn't want to tell anybody about that. And so you've got someone who might be a vice president of an organization working in philanthropy or a major gift officer, and that happens. So as we're thinking about workforce too, it's not just about the young folks too. There, That's why to me, it's important that you might have people who are working in your organization who might be powerful volunteers who might be doing really great work. And, you know, if they have an interest, mm -hmm. let's do what we can to lift each other up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of our, our co-hosts who actually had to step away and is not, it's not one of our co-hosts anymore, but Mark, Mark Benkin was in sales for like mm -hmm. what, 30 years gay before mm -hmm. stepping into a mm -hmm. philanthropy role. I mean, it yeah. was um, late, later in his career. And you know, that's not your typical career pathway. It's not yeah. somebody who's climbed up and he's, he's done really well and he really loves mm -hmm. the work and he really loves connecting with donors. So yeah. I do think that a big part of the recruitment process has to be, especially in our current environment, mm -hmm. but probably should have always been <laughs> thinking outside the box and, and yes. looking for those connections and really should be around the passion more so than anything else. You can teach the, the technicalities behind mm -hmm. fundraising to anyone. Yeah, it's, it's the passion and the, the relationship building that's important. Absolutely. And uh. I think that brings us to to retention. Mm hmm. And so as we have individuals who join us, it's important for us to recognize, too, that if we have an organization that's pretty homogeneous, if you're bringing in someone who's a little bit different, is the organization ready to have some diversity? Mm -hmm. I think change can be scary for some. I think it's important for organizations to think about, you know, are we recruiting with an intent to assimilate? I was on a panel with Latea Allsites from the Greater Twin Cities United Way, and I am not going to totally destroy, but I'm going to try to paraphrase here what Greg Cunningham, I believe she had said, had noted about hiring. And I think the, the general effect is that we hire for diversity, but we reward assimilation. Mm. And assimilation being kind of everyone kind of fits in in a specific way. And when you hire different generations, when you hire different cultural uh, styles, different communication styles, different conflict styles, it can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so it's good for us to think about what we're doing as an organization to think about retention. I have hired a wonderful person here at LSS with our goal being that we want to create a culture for our team that is inclusive, where people can grow. We don't want it to be just your general, you know, you, you bring in a gift, you go in, you fall. I mean, yes, there are going to be some technical things that you do, but it's about the mm -hmm. relationships. And we do that with our team too. What we have done with all of our team members too, is we have obviously one-on-one -on -one conversations on a weekly basis, but we figure out like, how do you like to be recognized? And it doesn't mean that we're going to have a party for everyone all the time, but it's just, you know, do you 
um, how is it that you connect with the people that you're working with? What are the ways that this person wants to grow? And so we have one very talented person who um, is part of a specific ethnic group, and they definitely want to be able to work more within that ethnic group. And so how do we do that? We have another person who's got incredible skills working with corporations and is just a very gifted writer. And so can we have that person focus more on working with corporations and talking with those different groups? And so even within our own team, and we've got this awesome rockstar team, part of how we retain is ensuring that we find those opportunities to recognize and to allow people to grow in specific ways. Professional development is very important. And often people will say, we don't have the budget to go to the conferences or, you know, do all of the things. And I think that there are also, especially in the state of Minnesota, some really very generous volunteers and community members people who have been in industry that are willing to open up and, and provide resources. And, you know, I, again, I talked about um, the Plan Giving Association, having a scholarship program, Association of Fundraising Professionals, mm-hmm. Association of Donor Relations Professionals, too. I was part of that for some years. They, if we can talk with them, too, and just say, this is something that we're interested in doing, I mean, these are volunteers that are heading the organizations. You guys are volunteers here doing the podcast, right? That's labor. That's a passion. That's an interest, right? We want to be able to connect with the folks who have those passions and those interests. We're interested in opening the gates, in welcoming people. And so I would say, let's think creatively about how it is that we can do this work. Minnesota Council of Nonprofits has these wonderful sessions where you can basically, they're like brown bag lunches, you know, and I've had the chance to join them as a guest. I've had a choice, a chance to present at some of those, but it's really fun. As we listen to our team members, uh, a lot of the work that we do in philanthropy is listening and learning. Mm There are some things that we might not be able to do, and it's important for us to know what we can and cannot do as an, as a person in our organization. But sometimes it's just a little bit of, yeah, tell me more. I'm, I'm interested in hearing this. What is your idea? We have to keep, keep that core competency. We have to keep that specific work that's going on. But maybe somebody wants to work within an employee resource group or be part of some other association. So... One thing I'll also mention, too, is that employee resource groups and affinity groups tend to be something that exists for larger organizations. So Lutheran Social Service, very large organization. Other organizations that I've been a part of are very big, considering how it is that peers can support each other and learn from each other is very valuable. I want to note that as an opportunity for retention. I do recall a conversation pre-pandemic that I had with someone who said, I don't want my team members to go to any of these networking events because then they're going to get poached. (laughs) And I actually thought that was very telling because if they're not involved in the community and we're touting ourselves as community engaged organizations and we're trying to keep these folks to ourselves, we that's not going to happen right mm-hmm. now. The workforce is not the you're hired on and you're going to be somewhere for 30 years. Yeah, that happens in some places and in some instances. And that's a beautiful thing when it does. But the majority of us don't really stay at a place for three decades. Those are really the outliers. And so it's right. important to acknowledge that a person may end up leaving. And you know what? 
they may end up like it's happened with me. I might end up working with someone that I worked with 10 years ago because they're amazing people. They're impactful. They've got integrity. They're able to get results. And so there's a way for us to, to work together as a community. So I encourage us to just examine our willingness to share and grow um, yeah. within our team. So those are just a couple for more sure. thoughts on that. You know, when you were talking about retention and recognition, it reminds me of this book that I read a couple of years ago that I just absolutely love called The Power of Moments. Mm. And he talks about um, all of these opportunities we have at different milestones in people's careers or just, you know, yeah. like just even like the first day, you know, mm -hmm. what that can look like. And one of the things that he said that that stuck with me, and I'm going to I'm not quoting it exactly, but basically that. Anytime we take a, a, a recognition or a retention mm -hmm. tool, right? Yeah. And we start to systemize it, mm -hmm. you know, like everybody's got to have the same first day. Everybody's got to have the same professional development opportunities. We're killing it. You know, there's no longer going to be a powerful moment. And I, and I see that a lot in organizations that they're afraid to do things because they don't feel like they can do them equally mm -hmm. across everybody. And yeah. we know that word equal is just a nasty word. Because, mm. um, we don't need to do things equally. We need to do yeah. things individually and for the right person at the right time to retain yeah. them. So yeah, I hear it's you. It's a re really good book, and I would encourage anybody to read it. Um, it, is, it is really good. In fact, I probably have it somewhere around here <laughs> on my desk, and I can find the, the author's yeah. name. Absolutely. The the show. It's very interesting. I wonder if I could chime in. I also liked what you were saying about uh, recognizing the strengths, kind of continuing on that line of doing things based on the individual, recognizing strengths and trying to maximize those strengths in members of your team and tap into those strengths as ways they can grow. Um, I and I, yeah, I think that goes along with what Christy's saying. There's not a going to be a cookie cutter approach to sort of for each employee to feel rewarded, recognized, fulfilled. Um, but I also wanted to circle back to what you were saying about kind of like we don't have the budget to like <laughs> do enough conferences or or that type of thing. How can we break that cycle? And and are there ways you've been able to advocate? for your team um, to uh, make more resources available to them if it is a matter of financially investing in them to have more opportunities, um, you know, outside what, what you think of as being in the budget or how, how, do, you, how do you address that tension? Absolutely. Um, I'm someone who really appreciates planning. <laughs> And also when I am part of an organization, I feel like I'm, I'm grateful that I, I have the privilege to be able to help choose an organization that has a culture that's inclusive, right? I also really appreciate organizations that are willing to learn um, and make strides. And whether that's a startup organization, an organization that's kind of struggling and trying to figure out like, how are we gonna survive? Or an organization that's been around for 160 years, I think there are ways for us to think about within the scope of influence that we have, how is it that we can prioritize 
this professional development. For me, it's do we prioritize the retention of our staff and their advancement? Because that's institutional uh, knowledge, excuse me, that's relationships with our donors, with our funders, with our line of service. A strong, healthy relationship between life service and development, very important to the success of a program, right? As we think about the return on investment, it may not be, well, Eileen needs to go to a conference in this place and it's going to cost $5,000 and the other person is going to want to go to that conference. And, do you know, it, it's the idea of trying to identify, yes, can we put some money in the budget for everyone that's something that you'll have to really think about. That's out of the hands of many people that are managers, to be perfectly honest. Prioritizing that and identifying that as a pathway to retention, advancement, and truly recruitment, because that actually does come up. Like, mm -hmm. am I going to be able to learn? Am I mm -hmm. just going to be sitting here doing phonathons? Like, what is this going to look like for me? Making that shift and I think identifying the value proposition for your organization is really important. And so, again, I'm grateful, blessed to be able to be part of an organization that values each of the employees, prioritizes that um, employee value proposition and those opportunities to be able, you know, we may not, we're not going to be able to do international conferences or any of that kind of thing, right? We're very modest, very lean here. Maybe it's one person one year and somebody else in another year and you cycle them through depending on how big your shop is, right? Mm -hmm. And also it's what are the gaps that you've got in your organization and aligning that with the interests of the team members that you've got. And so maybe you need someone to be a stronger writer and they want to go to an advancement, uh, advancement resources conference, you know, They've got incredible conferences, you know, that teach you how to write a specific way. Maybe it is a good investment. You can grow your talent. So, yeah, it's that case of for support. And, you know, in philanthropy, we talk about the best way to the best donor that you've got is one you've already got. Right. Uh, your next future donor. And so the idea is with stewardship. Right. If you have a donor who's given whether it's $500, $5,500,000, you want to be able to show them the impact of their support. You do that, you steward that relationship, you steward their gift, and that lines you up for the next gift, for the planned gift, for their legacy um, at the organization. To me, it's really the same thing with individuals who are working with you. If you've got talent that you want and you want to keep them, invest in that talent. And again, you have to be resourceful. You got to do it in the ways that are responsible. Mm -hmm. But um, it's the same principle of philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Nice. So Eileen, I know we're kind of running towards the end of our time here, but I also know that something that is really, really important to you and Gay and I, I share these, is DEI and really embedding that in the culture of your organization. And so I'd, I'd like to just talk a little bit about how you do that, how you bring new people in and make sure that they align with that culture, that they prioritize it, that they understand that that's a value that your team shares and, and what that looks like from, you know, from listing the position to all the way into bringing them into the team and, and really helping them see that as, as an area that's a priority. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad. And when you talked about this opportunity, Christy, I was really excited that this is something that you wanted to chat about here um, and share with listeners, because I think we need more dialogue around this. 
diversity, equity, and inclusion are the words for, you know, for DEI. Um, and I'll also say it's accessibility is a big part of that. And so, you know, you talked about onboarding and those values of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I don't know how familiar all of your listeners are with something called the IDI, um, the, oh shoot, I'm trying, I'm blanking out on it. It's like the Intercultural Diversity Inventory, something kind of like that. Something like that, um, yeah. I've taken the inventory before too. Um, and what they have is they've got individuals and actually they do organizations on a spectrum of openness to, I'm not using the right words. This isn't like, I'm not the subject matter expert on this, but on basically on that <laughs> spectrum of diversity and comfort. The truth is that sometimes we aspire to be completely open and sometimes the organization isn't always there. And I think that's important mm -hmm. to acknowledge that we're all on a journey and it's not to be judged, but to acknowledge that it exists there mm -hmm. and that we're trying to discern the right way to move along on this journey. The value of the organization too. So um, hiring people who are gonna be in alignment with that if you have an organization that's willing to use a word anti-racist, you want to have people who are coming on board who can say anti-racist and who are going to fit in with that. And you, if, if you're hiring and you say anti-racism, you want to make sure that the peers who they're coming in to work with are also understanding that anti-racism is something that's going to exist. If we're talking about, well, we want, we're colorblind. We're a colorblind organization, which is not something that people necessarily aspire to these days, but was a trend thing once upon a time. Mm -hmm. Understand that that's kind of what you're coming into also. And so if you um, say that you value diversity, equity, and inclusion, if we as an organization haven't really identified what diversity, equity, inclusion looks like, if we don't have these things tied to the business plan, to the operations, to the goals, to how it actually applies to development, does Diversity, equity, inclusion apply to development. That's a question that you should be able to answer for yourself. And you might say, um, I don't think so, other than I think it makes sense and I think it's the right thing to say, but maybe not. If we're working with white donors who are wealthy, why would I want to do this, right? So people really need to look within and be honest mm -hmm. because I think it might work for two months, it might work for six months, but then things kind of deteriorate. So if there isn't a real commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, that does seep through. But I think there's some really great things that organizations can do structurally, especially if you've got a new team or a team that is going to be grappling with issues of diversity, equity, inclusion. And I have a, a wonderful team member. I'll have to let her know that I'm, I'm telling the, the world about this. Uh, Lindsay Anderson, she is um, a manager for our relationship managers. One of the most gifted managers I've ever had the privilege to work with, actually. I'm so grateful for her. And one of the things that we do at our weekly gift officer meetings is she's created these case studies. And it can be anything from you meet with a donor this donor says that they only want their home left to a very specific group of people and, you know, we only want this. Or, you know, I'm talking with a donor and they say they're very passionate about something. Um, how do I accept 
this kind of gift or how do I turn it away? Or um, I'm working with team members. You know, the idea is we get to think through scenarios. I love this and I'm going to use it for the rest of my career. The idea that you can have a case study and just think about something that happened with someone. Think it through. By creating a dialogue, you're starting to think it through. Something that may have worked for one colleague may not work for another one, or they may say, oh, I I would have done this exactly the way that you did this, um, or gosh, you know, I'd really love to do that. At LSS, we work a lot with Lutheran donors. And so, for example, I'm not Lutheran. And one of the best things that was helpful for me was a colleague of mine who I work with, Catherine. She is actually a pastor and very gifted. And we're able to just kind of chat about things having to do with Lutheranism, if that's a word. That's probably not a word. Um, But just to really get acquainted and being able to have that space to think, to learn, to fail. And if you fail, fail quickly so you can try again um, is really valuable. Having something else that our department is doing too is we have embedded diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice into all of the different lines of service and all of the work that we do here at this organization. It's one of our key values and part of why I love being here. As we in the development team get to know different groups that we work with, you know, there might be, for example, housing, folks who are working in housing or youth and family services or in different geographic area. And they tell us about their work, but we always have this moment of, you know, in addition to these questions that we've got, one of the questions includes, you know, how do social justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion apply to your work? It's something that's very important just from an ethical standpoint and just, you know, it's just important to us, but also to our donors. The donors that we tend to work with are also just people who care. The folks who are doing this for a tax write-off, they have a different motivation. We'll have a different kind of conversation, right? But the folks for whom we're engaging in philanthropy, because this is creating meaning, this is impact, this is legacy, those are the folks who we want to make sure they understand in ways, in language that appeals to them that they can understand. We want to be able to have those conversations and explore. And we want to know how, if it's something that's happening within you know, youth experiencing homelessness, that we can speak to those disparities. We can talk about the work that's happening. There's a lot of potential and so many great minds. And again, our teams are wonderful. Our lines of service partners are our number one partners in, in helping to come up with these solutions and just encourage us to, to talk more about this all the time. Well, Eileen, we like to close out every show with just asking the same question to everyone, and you'll get to answer it a few times. So I guess you're going to have to come up with some different pieces of advice. So what's the best (laughs) advice you've ever received? And it does not have to be related to philanthropy. It could just be any great advice you've ever, ever received. The one that comes to mind is completely unrelated to philanthropy. It's you love your daughter and that makes you a good enough mom. (laughs) Believe it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think I tend to doubt myself. So maybe um, just uh, a self-belief thing is just... um, yeah, the things that mean the most to us in our lives. Yeah, just believing that I do have a, a good role and a good purpose and just to have a little bit more faith in myself and, and, and trust. Love that. 
so important. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Eileen, and, and for spending this time together. Um, and thanks everybody who has been listening today. And we just, uh, I really encourage you to continue to follow us on your social media, like us, post us, reshare, you know, share us, spread it around and come back and listen again next time. Thank you for listening to today's show. We hope you gained some helpful insights or practical advice. And if you did, we'd love to hear about it. So please take a moment and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or comment on one of our recent social posts. And if you send us a screenshot of your review, we'll send you a Legacy of Generosity sticker. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And follow us on LinkedIn at Leave a Legacy MN or Instagram at Legacy of Generosity Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.